1: his readers to know about this fellowship, Koinonia Fellowship, spirit-filled fellowship that we can have. This fellowship that John wants to share with his readers, with us, the fellowship he has, he wants us to then share with one another. He wants to take this same fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ and share it with others, share it with everybody we come in contact with, and that this is the fellowship that is available to
0: us today. Think about the person you have the best relationship with. What makes that such a great relationship? In today's message, Pastor Dave shares about a relationship you can have that is better than any relationship you can have on earth. A relationship that Jesus shared with John and he wants to share with you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John, chapter 1 through 4, as he begins his message Introduction.
1: Turn to the first epistle of John, John 1, or 1 John. I call this study an introduction. Before we begin, let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time of worship that we had. Thank you, Lord, for inhabiting our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for continually blessing us, Lord, as we now meet together once again. Father God, I pray for safety. I pray for protection about us, Lord, as we gather together in your name, Lord, to lift up the name of Jesus that all would come to know him. Help us, Lord, to be students of your word. Help us, Lord, to correctly divide your word as we now look to this beautiful, wonderful scriptures before us, this gorgeous book penned by the Apostle John, almost like a continuation of his gospel, Lord. And now as we look at that, let us learn the things that you want us to learn, Let us know the reasons that you have us now going through this marvelous, marvelous piece of Scripture. Lord, we thank you. We praise you in the most precious name of all, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, it's been about 60 years since the Apostle John heard those most incredible words from Jesus, follow me. And upon hearing those words, John and his brother James Andrew and his brother Peter, fishermen by trade, left their nets behind, and they followed Jesus. John and James, known as the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee. But Jesus gave them a new name, Bonanerges, sons of thunder. Called them sons of thunder because of their fiery enthusiasm. They wanted to call thunder down from heaven and smite some people around Samaria when Jesus was doing ministry there. John still had that fiery, fiery enthusiasm in his old age. He possessed a fervency of spirit, especially when it came to rebuking apostates and those who would deceive the church. He had no time for them, these false teachers. However, everything the apostle did was tempered by love. In fact, In our study of 1 John, you're going to find that the apostle uses the word love no less than 40 times, 40 times to describe things. When John first met Jesus, he was Bonadiris, he was a son of thunder. But soon afterward, he became the apostle of love. He became the disciple of love. When writing his gospel, you know that every time he referred to himself, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That is such an endearing term. Saints, brothers and sisters, you could write that as well. You can write that about your heart. You can write that about you. You can say, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. because It was because of you that he went to a cross. It was because of love that he had for you individually that he hung there and died so that you might come and have fellowship with the Father, have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It was for you that he did it. So you can say you're the disciple that Jesus loved. Now don't start having an argument, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. No, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. No, we're all the disciples that Jesus loved because he has enough love for everybody. He has enough love poured out. But I love the way John views himself. John, you know, was one of the big three, Peter, James, and John. They were the most intimate associates of Jesus. They were the ones who were called into that inner circle with Jesus. They became eyewitnesses. They became participants with Jesus in his ministry. And I find it interesting. In a few weeks, we're going to be putting on the big screen, The Chosen, one of the most incredible depictions of Jesus that I've ever seen. In that movie, As the brothers were called to follow Jesus, each one of them was worried. They were worried. What do we do? How do we do it? How do we act? What are we supposed to say? And it was Peter who solved the problem. And I love what Peter said to them in this movie. He said, how did our father teach us to fish? How did our father teach us to catch fish? And Andrew said, we didn't. Well, what did we do? We watched him. We watched him. And he was relaying that to saying, we were going to watch Jesus as he ministers to the people. And that's what they did. For three and a half years, they watched, they listened, and they learned from the master teacher himself. The savior taught them everything that they would need to know. Can you imagine the things that they saw? Can you imagine the things that they heard or that they witnessed? It was miraculous. And imagine following Jesus everywhere he went, being so close to him that you could hear his heartbeat, you could hear his thoughts, you could see him sweat in the heat of the sun, being with him every step of the way. He taught them incredible things about the kingdom of God. And he showed them marvelous, marvelous works. But of all the things that John learned, of all the things that he saw that were most important in life, was as one commentator put it, not a thing, but the relationships we have John had learned, as important as everything is in life and the relationships we have with other people, there is nothing more important than our relationship with God. That is premier in our lives. Nothing supersedes our relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Nothing supersedes that. Nothing. And now John, through this letter, speaks to his spiritual children, of which we are, He speaks to his spiritual children, and he desperately tries to tell them, you too can enjoy this same fellowship that I had, that I'm having even now. You can enjoy it. It's yours for the taking. You can have it. You can walk with Jesus. You can talk with him. You can act like he's here because guess what, folks? He is. He is with us right now wherever two or more are gathered. He appears in their midst, and we welcome you here today, Jesus. We thank you for being here through your spirit. He wants his readers to know about this fellowship. Koinonia fellowship. Spirit-filled fellowship that we can have. This fellowship that John wants to share with his readers, with us, the fellowship he has, he wants us to then share with one another. He wants to take this same fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ and share it with others. Share it with everybody we come in contact with. And that this is the fellowship that is available to us today. It's available to anybody who's listening, anybody out there on TV land through Facebook or YouTube, anybody it is available to you through Jesus Christ. And John is saying, you can have that fellowship today. So John set out to write to others what he had experienced. John is going to tell us what he had experienced, and he's going to really emphasize the fact that what he experienced was real. What he experienced was real. It wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't a once upon a time. It was something that had been going on since the beginning of time, since before the foundations of the world. Hence, he begins his epistle by saying in verse 1-1, that which was from the beginning. Almost familiar to what he wrote in his gospel. So, dateline, it's around 100 A.D., It's about 100 A.D. John is in Ephesus. Why is John in Ephesus? Because he's the pastor of the church that Paul founded. John, in his old age, was the pastor of this church that Paul had founded. And he wants to write to churches to tell them that he has discovered that satisfying reality that is not found in things, places, or thrills, but can only be found in the person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's interesting, though, most of the letters in the New Testament identify who is writing it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, etc., Peter, etc. This doesn't have any identification. But strong, consistent testimony from the early church ascribes this to John and is generally accepted that John, the apostle John, the writer of the gospel, was the writer of this particular book as one commentator puts it, quote, the amenity strongly affirms the early church identification of the epistle with John the Apostle. For some, only someone of John's well-known and preeminent status as an apostle would be able to write with such unmistakable authority, expecting complete obedience from his readers without clearly identifying himself. He was well-known to the readers, so he didn't need to mention his name, unquote. There's an overall theme In 1 John, it is a recall back to the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Back to the basics. I like to call it Christianity 101. Back to the beginning. The apostle deals with certainties. He deals with truths, not opinions, not conjecture. He expresses the absolute character of the Christian in amazingly simple terms. Terms that are clear and unmistakable leaving no doubt of the fundamental nature of these truths. But when you read through the epistle, it reads as a warm conversation. It has a loving tone, kind of like tender, intimate conversation that one might have with his children. John views us as spiritual children. He's going to call us beloved. He's going to call us little children. He's going to call us young men. and He calls us old men, too. First John is written from the heart of a pastor, a heart of a pastor for his sheep, for those that were entrusted to him by the Lord to take care of and to feed. John was a true shepherd. Look to whom was his example. He learned from the good shepherd. He learned from the one, Jesus Christ. John communicated to his flock with extremely basic and vitally essential principles. And he wants to reassure them regarding the basics of their faith. And this is the whole premise of 1 John. So as I said, John sits down to write this letter because there's some things that are troubling him. There are some things that are get bothering him. So I see four concerns that he's going to address in this letter. The first one, he was concerned about the believer's joy. Was it real or was it based on circumstances? Secondly, he was concerned about sin, especially unconfessed sin. How did it affect the unbeliever? Or excuse me, how did it affect the believer? And as in many of the New Testament epistles, another concern was false teaching that had come into the church. And finally, John wants you to know today that you can be absolutely sure of your salvation. You can know that you know. In fact, the word know is prevalent throughout this epistle, that you know and you're sure and it's settled, done with. Don't have to worry about my salvation anymore. John wants you to know that. He's writing this letter. So it's these things that I want you to know. It's these things I want to spend some time with this morning. These things. Let's look at the number one. The number one was John was concerned about the believer's joy. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. He writes, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. You know, God wants your life to be a life of joy. He wants your life to exude the joy of the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? God wants your life to exude that joy, regardless of your circumstances. And his buddy, his pal, Peter, writes this in First Peter 1, verses 6 through 9. He says this, In this you greatly rejoice, talking about our salvation, though now for a little while, if need be, you have... Been grieved by various trials. Of course, none of you have been grieved by various trials lately. So he says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that persists, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy. Jesus spoke about joy. That our joy would be complete. How did he speak about our joy being complete? How is our joy complete with Jesus? Well, he said so in chapter 15. Abide in me. If you abide in me, you will ask whatever it is you want, and it will be granted to you, and your joy will be full. Abide in me. In chapter 16 and verse 23 and 24, the Apostle John relates the fullness of joy to our prayer life. And he says the fullness of joy is related to our fellowship with God. Not only once, but a continual fellowship that we have with God the Father through Jesus Christ. It's the abundant life. This joy is the abundant life that Christ has come to give us. We need to make a distinction right now. There is a distinction between joy and happiness. Joy is a quality of the Spirit. Happiness is an emotion. It's a second-hand emotion. Happiness is a variable. It is a variable. And it's related towards our outward circumstances. When things are going great, I'm happy. I'm excited. I got a brand new car and I'm driving down the street. This is great. And I hit a tree. I'm not so happy anymore. I'm disappointed. You may come to me and say, I'm having a horrible time. I can't pay my bills. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll help you out and I write you a check for $10,000 and I give it to you and go, woohoo, I'm happy now. I can pay my bills until you try to cash the check. (laughs) Then you probably won't be as happy as you were before because it's variable. Happiness is our outward circumstances, but joy, joy is the thing of the heart. Joy is the thing of the heart. And what is joy but the second fruit of the spirit? The second, listen, the fruit of the Spirit, that joy. There is joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. I'm glad you asked. Got that, Lord, the joy of Jesus down in my heart. It's because of the joy is related to my relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. I have that joy because of what he accomplished on the cross. I have that joy in my heart. And it's a constant joy. It's not variable. It doesn't change. Why? Because my relationship with him doesn't change. Things may come and go. They may be bad, they may be horrible, but my relationship with God is secure. Therefore, I have fullness of joy. I always have that joy deep inside my heart. Always have that joy, and I'm always ready to tell them why I have that joy. It's because of Jesus Christ. I can't work this joy up in the midst of coronavirus, in the midst of Social distancing in the midst of all the craziness. I can't work this joy up. This joy is planted in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And I can have joy. John writes this epistle so that you can come into this kind of relationship with God. That you might have fellowship with the Father. That your joy might be full. John's readers were living in troubled times. There was mass oppression. There was mass persecution. It was rampant. Duh! We're living in unprecedented times. We're living in unprecedented times. God has not changed, though, has he? His love is constant. His love is pure. His love will never fail. The one thing we can always count on is the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. We can always count it. And as Beretta said, you can take that to the bank. Always. Scripture even tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So John says, I write these things, this letter that we're going to study that I'm so excited about, I write these things so that your joy may be full. Your joy may be overflowing. And someone's going to say, why do you have that stupid look on your face? Why are you so happy when everything's crashing around around you? Because I have salvation in Jesus Christ. And I know the end. So John says, I write these so that your joy may be full. The second reason he wrote the epistle is found in chapter 2, verse 1a. He says, my little children. There he goes, right off the shoot. My little children. This is endearing, folks. This is really endearing the way John is writing to us. He said, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Wow. Do you know we have the victory over sin? Do you know the victory over sin is found in chapter 1, verses 7 through 10? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we do not sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Walking in the light means to be open. It means to be honest. It means to be sincere. It means to have a sincere outlook on life and sincere with yourself, sincere with God, and sincere with others. And Paul wrote about this in the beautiful book of Philippians. He says in Philippians 1, verse 10, I'm going to read 9 and 10, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Sincerity. Sincerity. If you can't stand to be tested by the light of God, and you're not sincere because you're not walking in the light. When you walk in the light, nothing's hidden. There's nothing hid in the light. Turn the light on. Go into a dark room and turn the light on. Nothing's hidden. Walking in the light means to be honest. Honest with God, honest with yourself, honest with others. The light reveals our sins so that we can immediately confess them. In Christ, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Jesus broke the chains of the bound me because of sin. Now guess what? I have a choice. I have a choice, and the choices I have, I don't have to sin. Before I knew Jesus Christ, that was my nature. I was by nature a sinful creature. But now, because of Jesus Christ, my sins have been taken away. I have a choice. But, Paul, John says, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. Well, okay, John, what am I going to do then? I do slip up once in a while. I do make a mistakes. Aha. Look at the rest of verse 2-1. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oh, oh man. He's up there intercessing for me. Love that. It's beautiful. Thanks be to God our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us freedom from our sin through the blood of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Third concern that John addressed in his epistle was false teaching. False teaching. Look at 2.26. 2.26. These things I have written to you concerning those who tried to deceive you. Those who tried to deceive you. You remember when Paul went to the Ephesian elders back in uh, chapter 20 of the book of Acts? He predicted that ravenous wolves would come in when he departed. Ravenous wolves would come in and they would try to tear apart the work that he had accomplished through Jesus Christ. These are false teachers. But he said they wouldn't come in from outside. They'd come from within. They would come from within, and that's the scary part. These false teachers rose up within the church own ranks, and they polluted the gospel message. What did they pollute it with? Philosophy, philosophical trends. You are a sure hope.
0: Our time with you has come to an end today on A Sure Hope, but in our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue teaching through the book of 1 John. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for Assure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., feel free to give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for directions and more information. Perhaps you prefer email. If so, go ahead and email us with any questions at info at capewatchradio.com you might be interested in knowing that for those who aren't able to come in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just look for a link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 1 John. We look forward to the next time as Pastor Dave will share more things that God has put on his heart from this New Testament letter. But until then, we encourage you to read through the Bible on your own and be reminded of God and that He is a sure hope.